Okay. You know, I just thought telling you to be quiet for a minute was fine, but okay. No, because I can't. There's no like discernible start and stop for a silence. Like, all right, all our tracks start are silent at the same time, different times. Now, that won't help, Brian. Just go. Hello, welcome to the Keep Sounding Podcast. This is Brian, joined by John and Brad. Uh, John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well, Brian. Uh, other than, again, the harassment. Well, that's, that's fine. That's, that's whatever. par for the course. Um, Brad, how are you? Yeah, I don't like being treated like this. You're my boss. What do you mean you don't like being treated like this? You told me to shut the fuck up. Like, I don't like that. Because I needed you to be quiet. You tell me to shut the fuck up all the time. But I'm allowed to do that. I'm I'm the managing <laughs> editor. I, I get to tell people what guests. to do. Yes, like, that's guests. my job. Oh, my God. So anyway, we're joined today by a very special guest, Matt Harmon, former NFL.com writer, current Yahoo writer, and the reception perception expert. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, I hope I don't have to tell any of you guys to shut the fuck up tonight. So, I mean, I don't know. Are we getting to work blue on this podcast or what? This is great. I'm, I'm happy to be here, guys. I always love to talk <laughs> uh, Panthers football, even when it's sad um, and it's not as great to talk about uh, after the week we've all had. But, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to chat tonight. We got a lot of our – And we greatly appreciate you coming on. We do. We got a lot of our grievances out. I'm sure we'll do plenty more bitching tonight um but yeah so we already we actually already broke down the Redskins game but we do want to the one of the reasons i had matt on not just because he's a, dang it brian you just cannot what? god oh it's my not, god it's washington open my note app again <laughs> i forgot i didn't clue matt in on that so we're not allowed to say that name so we bleep it out on the podcast we don't bleep anything else out just that that's um, fine. I tr- I try not to say it anyway, so that, that's good. People hate it when cool. we do that. By the way, oh, uh, I'm sure. I think it's more of a joke than anything. I mean, SB Nation doesn't want us to use it, but it's a jo- we kind of the censorship thing is yeah. kind of a joke. <laughs> um, except Brian's the only one that can't avoid saying it. <sighs> that should tell you all you need to know about the the three of us. That Brian is the one that that can't restrain himself from. Oh yeah, I mean, I'll be judging now words. from now on. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> Brian is just a racist, oh, confirmed. God. So, we broke down the Washington game already, but the main reason why, one of the main reasons I had Matt on, not just because he's got plenty of knowledge about the NFL in general and the Panthers, but I want to talk about the Panthers receivers tonight as well. Um, we are going to do a little bit of a preview of the Philadelphia Eagles against the Panthers on Sunday. Oh, that should be fun. Um, but... Before we get into that, let's uh, talk some let's talk some Panthers with you, Matt. How's that sound? I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so number number one guy I want to bring up, obviously, DJ Moore, first round pick, 
so far has been, I wouldn't call it a disappointment, but he really hasn't seen the field that much. Um, he finally got quite a bit of snaps on Sunday against Washington and unfortunately fumbled the ball twice, which overshadowed what ended up being a pretty good game for him. So uh, give us some of your thoughts on DJ Moore over the last few games and uh, as a first round pick for the Panthers. Yeah, unfortunate a uh, few mistakes there for DJ, especially the first fumble on the punt return, which I think, you know, we were talking before we started recording, uh, or at least I said that this is a team that's really not built to come from behind from a 14 point deficit. Uh, I was actually surprised they were competitive towards the end of the game and had a chance to win it. So, I mean, that is definitely, a, you know, not a great start for him in that game, putting him in the hole there. 14 points was, was rough. Uh, but what I liked about Moore coming into the NFL and why I was so high on this pick when it happened, you know, he's a guy that I studied a lot with reception perception coming into the draft and actually got a chance to interview him uh, over the like heading into the NFL draft, uh, obviously before he was taken by the Panthers. And to me, one thing that I was so excited about with his game was, you know, his his ability to make plays in space. But before that, with routes to really run patterns out of the slot, be a guy that could create a lot of layup throws for Cam Newton, which to me, I think, you know, is the biggest part of what's what's what Cam has struggled with over the these, I would guess the second half of his Panthers tenure in in particular is that the offense really always asked for him to make some of the highest degree of difficulty throws. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of guys that create instant separation and whether by his own ability or by design, I think more is ideally fit to be that type of player as like a golden Tate plus type of guy. Um, obviously that's not manifested itself to this point. It's like you said, he's hardly ever on the field, which has been disappointing because I would have thought that just having him as mostly a slot receiver or somebody you move around the formation, you could at least make use of his ability after the catch. It just hasn't really happened yet for whatever reason. Maybe they're not comfortable with him running more routes than just easy layup patterns. But that was why I really liked the selection, as I mentioned, with Cam Newton. Uh, again, making some of those layup throws more apparent in the offense. Obviously, McCaffrey coming to the team uh, a year ago was a big part of creating more of those, but I thought DJ would add another layer to that. And it's, it's just been disappointing that we haven't gotten to see much of it. But that doesn't mean that I'm not still high on him as a player or what he's going to do in Carolina. So, so do you think that Moore should be playing yeah, more snaps I, based on like who else is I, on the depth I chart ahead of him? I 100% think so. I mean, last week you look at it, uh, he plays 27 snaps. That's still well behind 37 for Jarius Wright and 42 for Torrey Smith. And I, I just don't know that those guys offer anything more than competency and sometimes especially in the case of smith maybe incompetency uh i think those guys just really aren't adding anything whereas i think more can add value to his touches when he gets the ball in space i i definitely think he should be playing more and you know obviously doesn't make a big case for that with a couple of mistakes last time out but i this offense still as a passing unit really hasn't been super explosive they're one of the five they're one of the six teams that are averaging over five yards or more per carry on the ground but they still haven't been a consistent passing offense just yet uh this has also been a season where coming into week six cam was on pace to set a career high in rushing yards uh so i this has been mostly a ground-based offense they're a slow-paced unit they don't run a lot of plays their bottom three in plays run their 23rd in pace of play in neutral situations they're not that real up-tempo offense i just think they need 
something of a shot in the arm. And I think that can come from DJ Moore. I don't know what it, what reason, whether it's just, you know, plain old veteran deference, which is like the bane of all coaches in the NFL. And particularly this staff in Carolina has been a veteran deference based unit. So maybe that's just the main reason, or perhaps there's something they feel he's not grasping, but I definitely think that he should be out there on the field more. How many snaps do you think they should give him? Like you said, Torrey Smith had over 40 snaps. Do you think DJ should get those 40 snaps and Torrey should only get 20-ish? Or Yeah, I would say that those two should probably switch roles. The, the problem is you want to use you want to use DJ Moore as mostly a slot receiver. Uh, but, of course, that's normally where Jarius Wright is playing. He was about at 62% of the snaps last week, whereas Torrey Smith is still that number two at 70%. Obviously, they're all way behind Devin Funchess. But I think that Moore can start supplementing both of those players. And obviously, the more interesting angle we haven't hit on this yet is Curtis Samuel like just utterly disappears from the o- offense, which you know he hasn't played a ton this year, obviously, with the, his health condition. But both of those guys just – that was what that was what honestly got me so excited coming – into week six with this team was seeing more make some plays in space, seeing Curtis Samuel be uh, a threat with the ball in his hands. Like these aren't guys that, you know, people like us that have watched Panthers football for years and years and years. I mean, we have not seen guys that make plays on their own uh, after the route is run in years on this team. And that was what was so exciting. I think both of those guys should just start to sprinkle in more because again, I don't know what it is that, these other two veterans and Wright, who, who I think has been solid, you know, he's, he's, he's doing his job or whatever, but I don't think either of those Wright or Smith are really adding more to their touches. Whereas I think these two younger players can. Yeah. Like it's like more and, uh, or not more Wright and Smith. I mean, Smith has had his moments of being poor, but if they're, if they are like right now, any better than more and Samuel, it's not enough to justify keeping the long-term prospects on the bench the majority of the time. And, you know, without like there's, it's a, it's a low, it's a low risk, low reward thing. While I think the younger guys are maybe slightly higher risk, but not that much and a much higher reward. At least that's, that's I, I my think that's opinion. actually a really good assessment because again, it's just, what's the ceiling with these two players? Like maybe they have a slightly higher floor yeah. on a, down to down route to route basis than a guy like DJ Moore, a guy like Curtis Samuel. But I think you already have three players in the offense in Funchess, Olsen, you know, if he's healthy and Christian McCaffrey that offer you a pretty high floor on a passing down perspective. Like you have a, a reliable tight end, you have a dump off option and you have a guy who can win contested passes and Devin Funchess and be, you know, something of a downfield threat. I don't think you need to then have two other high high floor options. I think you can welcome in some of the variants of these younger players, especially on play action throws. And that's been one of the most encouraging things that I've seen in this Carolina offense this year. Cam Newton's up to about 27% of his plays are drop or uh, 27% of his passes are play action passes. That's up from previous years. And uh, his completion percentage, according to Pro Football Focus, is 17% higher on play action throws. And that's a that's a big difference. And I think adding an extra layer of these two big play assets in Moore and Samuel would would go a long way to maximizing that approach. Uh, it's what we see a lot of what the Rams do in L.A. You know, you brought up a good point about Christian McCaffrey and something that I've been watching that's been a little bit, uh, I guess, aggravating is the fact that they just 
stubbornly continue to keep him in the backfield, pass protecting and running the ball up the gut all the time until they're like down the 14 nothing, 7 nothing, 17 point deficits that are just that this team's not built to play against. And my thought is okay, DJ, you have Torrey Smith, you have Jarius Wright. Those are guys where you expect consistency or more consistency, maybe aside from the variance that you mentioned with the rookies and Curtis Samuel. So why isn't Christian McCaffrey the guy lining up for the high percentage slant route or the high efficiency routes where Cam can dump it off to him knowing he's going to make that catch even if all else goes well goes bad? It's just it's really aggravating mainly because the first week of the year they got Christian McCaffrey really, really involved in the passing game to as a check down, as a flat guy. So... Why isn't he the guy you're using there? I mean, they're already keeping him on the field most of the game anyway. Why not just throw C.J. Anderson in the backfield to be the pass blocker guy who runs it up the gut? It's just it's a kind of it's kind of infuriating because like they're just kind of shooting themselves in the foot because they're taking more threats off the field, even when one of them is on the field, because they're just making Christian McCaffrey into a more of a running back until they have to throw the ball. Just it drives me nuts. I'm, I don't understand it at all. Yeah, that that's actually a really fascinating point that I hadn't even considered. In uh, just looking at the data right now, McCaffrey's run 157 routes overall. That's fourth most in the NFL, but he's only lined up in the in the slot on 10% of his uh, plays this year. That's uh, you know about 14th at the running back position this year, which is obviously you would think that he's going to be much higher than that. You'd think he'd be up there with a guy like you know Tariq Cohen. It was more of a gadget, obviously more of a gadget player than. Chris McCaffrey, no question about it. But like, you know, C- Cohen's up there at 18%. Alvin Kamara's up there at 17%. You would want to see, I mean, Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley's up there at 14.9%. All these guys are are being used more creatively as receivers than McCaffrey is right now. And I, I think McCaffrey's been probably the best part of this offense this year if, as a as a pure runner, as I mentioned, which has been nice to see. But, you know, I agree with you that if again, if you're gonna remove I think maybe going forward, you could have a discussion as a coaching staff that if we're going to remove some of these these high floor veterans and put in some more of the variants of these younger players, that maybe we can also use McCaffrey in ways that that bring some of that floor back to the passing game. Uh, again, I think this this passing game overall has been probably better than what I expected it to be. Of course, everybody wants to talk about Cam Newton's completion percentage, and I mean it is way way up this year, which I do think is about bringing in some of these more. High lower lowering down the amount of high degree of difficulty plays, bringing up some of these layup throws. But I think there's just way more they can do to maximize that. So I think the passing game has actually found a decent floor this year. Now I think it's just time to have a conversation about how can we be more creative with McCaffrey, as you're mentioning. Also, again, add some of these younger players and just increase that ceiling output from it. Yep. Well, to me, it's like, and it's not even like uh, this is all you know, just like fan hopeful, you know, unbridled optimism with nothing to back it up. It's not like, cause I got, I'll, you, you can ask Brad and Brian, I was very down on Samuel coming into the year just because he, I thought he played so poorly as a receiver. I know he did a decent job getting space last year, but in terms of like catching the ball and making plays with the ball in his hands last year, he was really, really bad. And that was supposed to be his calling. That's card. an understatement. An NFL player. John hates Curtis Samuel. So I and thought, Brian can back that up. <laughs> don't, don't <laughs> no it just i like thought it was crazy coming into this year where people were putting like curtis samuel as like yeah like we got like stud playmakers like curtis samuel 
of seven yards per catch, 50% catch rate fame from his rookie season, which, so I was like, so it's not like uh, like that kind of optimism coming into the year, but then, you know, he does finally get a chance to play, makes a couple good catches, and then that crazy run after the catch uh, for the touchdown, and then it's like, all right, cool, thanks, Curtis, we're just, you, we're not going to let you build off that, you get, you get three snaps and zero looks the next game. Uh, and then DJ Moore, obviously the fumbles are bad, but he's making plays when he has the ball. Like he's, I have it in front of me, but I know he's, ha- he's got a good yards per catch average and uh, he's making players miss and stuff. So like they're giving the coaching staff reasons to play them. I don't know why. They're yeah, not. I would, that's funny that you know, with Curtis Samuel, like I, he wasn't a player that I put through reception perception. And if any of your listeners aren't familiar with what reception perception is, it's where I go over a six game sample for college players and an eight game sample for NFL players and chart every single route they run, how often they get open on each route, what type of routes they're running most often. Uh, and also track, you know, broken tackles after the catch contested catches thing like that so pretty much just trying to define like what roles these wide receivers should be playing uh what and what they do best and samuel wasn't a player that i put through reception perception because i had been burned in college seasons past like tracking you know guys like braxton miller that were similar type of gadget players uh and just like not getting very conclusive data so i didn't really put samuel through that but obviously just watching him play you can tell he is a gifted player in terms of athletically and obviously the speed is there. They had some plans for him to be like a pseudo Ted Ginn slash reliable slot receiver as a rookie. That's what, you know, Dave Gettleman said that he wanted out of him. Like that didn't make any sense. Um, I I think having him as just an explosive playmaker really does add this layer to this offense. And and to me, what I was getting excited about in the preseason was, this is a, a player that they clearly weren't counting on this year by the fact that they go out and spend a first-round pick at wide receiver, the fact they bring in two veteran free agents. But then he's out there looking good in the preseason. It's like, well, this is this is the first time I would say that I enter a Panther season thinking there's like a potential for gravy here in, in, in on the side with a player like Curtis Samuel. And I, I just hope that we see more of that going forward because it's disappointing how little it, there was uh, after such a strong week, uh, week five. So I just uh, real quick, I just you were kind of explaining the reception perception. What made you want to do that? I know this is kind of getting a little off the Panthers topic, but I am curious what made you want to do that. Well, there's two twofold reason here. Uh, one uh, needed to stand out in a very crowded space of people that want to be a career NFL analyst or writer, what have you. Uh, so back when I first started writing about the NFL for my own website, I was like, well, I need something to stand out. I need a unique piece of content. And then beyond that, what turned me on to the wide receiver position, obviously growing up watching the Panthers and being a fan of the team, I'd always loved Steve Smith because, I mean, how could you not? Uh, and so that just always made me such a fan of wide receivers in general. I really just kind of was drawn to that position. And also, I think it's a very misunderstood position because, you know, as fans on Sunday, we're watching games. We're not seeing most of what a wide receiver does, you know, we're because they run off screen. We're at the liberty of some of these goofball uh, commentators to tell us like, oh, nobody's open downfield. Quarterback's got no chance. Or this guy's running open downfield and, and the quarterback's just not hitting him. I wanted to go in and actually test that on a route-by-route basis. And I think when you're evaluating football players and you're watching tape, you're doing a very um, 
it's it's an inexact science, obviously, um, and you're doing a more qualitative piece of analysis. And I wanted to do something like take some of that qualitative realities that you're seeing on tape and actually put it into a rubric and log things and track them so that over the years, and I've now been doing this for four NFL seasons, you're able to compare guys year over year, who's getting better, who's getting worse, uh, who's developing, and what type of roles fit which type of players best. So that's a long-winded answer, but basically uh, there's a lot of different reasons why I think tracking players like this makes sense. I mean, I'm all for uh, trying to quantify things as much as possible. I get called a nerd a lot on Cat Scratch Reader. Uh, It's because you are a nerd, I am a nerd. Um, A lot of, just doing a lot of, like, you know, success rate type stuff on like runs versus passes and down and distance type things. Um, I think quantitative, like, like you said, you said, like you said, it's never going to, like, there's no way to ever make that like entirely quantified other than like, I know the NFL is kind of trying with their next gen stats and their separation stats and stuff, but you know, there's still going to be some sort of bias and like, did this player win this route? And, and what exactly the route was that they ran and stuff. Cause I know there's, you know, there's no like fine line between things. Um, but it takes away that bias of like, yeah, it's all like, it's, a, it's a, it would say, yeah, right. It takes away that bias. It's an opinion. If I tell you that I, I saw this guy get open on 70% of his routes yeah. this season, um, that's mm-hmm. an opinion. It's not an objective fact, but I would say that me telling you, that I that I charted this player with a 70% success rate versus man mm-hmm. coverage over his 170 something routes is better than, you know, somebody being like, "Oh yeah, this guy never gets open, so I gave him a D plus as yeah. a route runner." Like, what the hell does that exactly. even mean? What is, what is a D plus, exactly. right? So I think that just helps bring some objectivity into what is inherently a subjective yeah. test. And you and that that's a good point because on top of the fact that like you said the analyst would be like, "Oh, that guy's wide open down the field." Or, you know, your casual observer will be like, oh, he's not getting open. You have to remember it's it's game plan dependent and in situation dependent as well. Because a receiver might be running a route that's designed just to draw coverage to him. And maybe the defense decide, figures out that's not where the ball is going to go. Or they they run a route that's probably that might be a poor route, but it's a zone. It's supposed to get open in a specific zone and they end up getting the ball. So. You're right. It's it's a very inexact science, but it's something where when you study it over a long period, you get a little bit more of a feel for it than simply just assigning a grade based on what you saw from the highlights. <laughs> it's also so. much better than like yeah, there are things. I was gonna say like I'm uh, I'm sure you remember uh, Jared Green, training camp, uh, preseason MVP. Oh, potential yeah. Hall of Famer Jared. And Green? it's like running what looked like beautiful routes in these videos of him doing workouts and it's like oh this guy's a good route runner look at that like hip fluidity and the the smooth transitions and stuff but it's like that you you can easily be swayed by like the aesthetics of of players if you don't quantify things in any sort of manner yeah i mean braxton miller i mentioned him earlier this is more than i've talked about braxton miller in like years uh but, but like he was a player that down at the senior bowl everybody was drooling over him because of like oh my gosh look at how he's running routes but they look so these routes look so pretty but it's like he's taken five seconds to set up these defenders with all these stupid little stutter mm-hmm. steps in the nfl like if you've if your quarterback's holding the ball for five seconds he's probably dead so yeah, there there are definitely some differences between what actually happens on the field and like the aesthetics of route running. I have a question. Speaking and like kind of how Brian talked about with like the different routes and the different success rate. 
is it just me and you because you look at every team do the panthers run more like a higher ratio of outbreaking routes especially deeper outbreaking routes than most teams even now even the passing game has been like seems like it's gotten easier for cam but it seems like we run a, so many of those like deep comebacks and deep out routes that are such difficult throws and and yeah those are some of the routes that are the most infrequently thrown to in the nfl uh they're also yeah they're they're more high degree of difficulty routes like that was kelvin benjamin's best route mm-hmm. so for years like and that's not well one that's not saying much but <laughs> also like though yeah those just lend themselves to those high degree of difficulty throws that i was talking about earlier and brian brought up the next gen stats and when i worked up worked at nfl that was something that i worked with on a you know, day-to-day basis was trying to take some of those and turn them into real content. And you could see the difference between 2015 to 2016 uh, to then, or excuse me, 2016 to 2017 to 2018 in Cam Newton's, uh, you know, these, the throws that they were asking him to make. Uh, The Next Gen Stats just debuted a metric that I was working on before I left there, which was its completion probability. They actually are able to put a expected completion percentage value to every throw that a quarterback makes based on the separation the receiver has the distance the ball travels through the air how far it is from the sideline so again some of those deep sideline routes that you are talking about those are some of the obviously ones with low degree probability completions cam newton had like a 54 percent expected completion rate back in 2016 so one of the lowest in the nfl in terms of these are they're asking to make way too difficult of throws and, and plays that these quarterbacks like Tom Brady or, you know, even Aaron Rodgers to agree degree, they're not asked to do these sort of things. Uh, and then that jumped back like up to like 62% expected back in uh, this past in 2017, right around the same this year, but he's way outperforming what his expected completion percentages and is actually adding a lot yeah. on his um, own. So I know that's a lot, a lot of dork stuff I just mentioned there, but that's a long winded way no, of answering it, the question. Yeah. I think there's a lot. I'm no, looking at it right now. His expected, like you said, his expected completion percentage this year is uh, 62.8, which is eighth, the eighth most difficult in the NFL, and his and he's outperforming that. The his he's 3.1 percent better than that, which is the sixth best mark in the NFL. It, which lead, lends a lot of credence to the whole idea that like Cam Newton's inaccurate because of his completion percentage. When it's more like Cam Newton's completion percentage is low is because the throw he needs, the throws he needs to make are insanely difficult, and that kind of felt true anecdotally as a fan who watches every single game. I don't think it jumps out as much if you don't watch him all the time, and it's kind of yep. it feels there's kind of a validation in seeing that again that that quantified. Where it's like yeah, even now with this supposedly simplified offense and offense that's supposed to make it easier for him, it's still one of the most difficult offenses for a quarterback to complete passes in. Yeah, and I would ask you guys this because. Like you, you know, like you guys watch watch all these Panthers games, and this is this is an impossible thing to know for sure. But part of me does wonder, like, is it just Cam chooses to make these high de- degree of difficulty throws? Even now, as the offense is becoming more, you know, it's you know, hashtag mm-hmm. evolved. That's what that was the big talking point a couple of seasons ago, um, and I think it has successfully done that to a degree. And probably, as we're saying, it could do a little more. But I, do you guys think there's just a little bit of in in like Cam Newton has that ingrained in himself that he likes to make these tight window throws that he feels confident that he can do it. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's at least worth asking. I think so. I think he. You want to take that first stab, John? Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah, I, I think I so. Brad, too. Guess, Brad, you want to go ahead and talk a little bit? You haven't talked in a while. 
<laughs> no, you I think, can, I you think can he's go. got that. Like <laughs> that. Like Patrick Mahomes gets a lot of has been getting all the praise for it with the whole gunslinger mentality thing because he's the you know the hot new young thing. Um, Cam Newton has that same kind of approach, I think, where he he genuinely believes he can make every single throw. So I don't like. Yeah. I see there are some people that will criticize like he'll make a throw down the field and they're like, why is he throwing that down the field when he's got McCaffrey wide open in the flat? It's like, well, he's not going to look at McCaffrey in the flat if he thinks he can make that throw down the field. And I do think Cam genuinely believes he can make every throw. And he, for the most part, he can, but he does. He does. Challenge him. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's because he believes it because yeah. he knows he can do it. Yeah, I mean, he makes it seems like every game there's a throw he makes where he like threads a needle or you know, skims the fingertip of a defender like 30 yards down the field to hit a receiver between the numbers. But so I, I understand why he believes he can make every throw. And that I think, I don't know, I commend him for that. I do think we're kind of neutering that a little bit this year in the for the sake of evolving, which do you think there's anything to the, you know, like his arm strength has declined since the shoulder surgery? Because he's got his longest completion this year, like in the air is less than four yards. Yeah, well, they just don't, I mean, they don't really have any vertical yeah. threats, you know, somebody to really bomb the ball out. I mean, I think Devin Funches is a fine downfield threat, but he's another player that is going to operate on some of those go routes as more of an outside the numbers receiver. I think he's a pretty good dig and post route runner, and I think you do see that pop up that he, he'll make some big plays down the middle of the field. Um, yeah, maybe there's a, maybe there's a chance that his uh his arm has declined a little bit. I mean, that's going to naturally happen with age, but I think the fact that he's able to really, as you mentioned, like thread that needle every now and again, and just make some throws that are, you know, un- unbelievable. Uh, I-, I would tend to say it's not to a point where uh, that I'm too concerned about it. One thing I do want to mention real quick, speaking of the downfield thing after week one, ever they were questioning why cam was hitting Christian McCaffrey so much in the, flat and they were and the justification behind it was well when they do that it's going to draw the linebackers up and allow for some more wiggle room in the middle and that made perfect sense and then they just stopped doing it they also don't <laughs> yeah. throw to the like, middle of the field at yeah. all it's because we have to run the ball <laughs> that's true i forgot we got to establish the run pound the rock yeah you have <laughs> to establish the run on first and second down and then on third and 12 you can throw but you can't throw across the middle. Like John just said, we never throw across the middle for some reason. It's like we're scared that that's where all the interceptions happen or something. But. And one thing I do want to ma- mention, too, well, since uh, the Panthers are about to play the Eagles as well, if, the, if, this is, if there's any game where they're going to throw over the middle, it should be this one, in my opinion, if they, if they really decide to turn it loose on offense. Because in my mind, you're playing against the crazy good Philly front seven, who's going to just go after Cam all game. So in my mind, you would think that it would make sense to get McCaffrey involved more in the in the short yardage game to draw the linebackers up a little bit. And that's where I see the Panthers wing and making some big plays is getting the ball to like more Olsen or Funchess or even Curtis Samuel over the middle to give them some space to operate. They're not going to do that. They're going to run Christian McCaffrey right into the teeth of the Eagles defense. But you know, theoretically, I mean, that, paper, yeah. right? that would be that so makes bad. too much sense, Brian. They're going to run Christian McCaffrey straight into Fletcher Cox 25 times. <laughs> that would be the like the stone worst approach 
for this defense. Like this is one of the best run defenses, if not the best run defense in the NFL. Meanwhile, they allow the fourth most catches to running backs this year with 41. They're tied with a few other teams there. Like that is obviously how you are going to attack with your running backs is to throw them the ball against the Eagles. So yeah, if we don't see McCaffrey get to like seven plus catches in this game, that's a pretty big mistake. I, I again, I, I think there's, he's been a great runner this year. McCaffrey has, but holy hell, please don't try to <laughs> smack him into the into the front line of the Eagles. No, we do have this thing of like we have an identity and we have to establish and stick to our identity, um, even if it flies in the face of what would prob is most likely to be successful in a given week. Um. So what do you think? Do you think that that comes from? Uh, I, I think well, I, I'm going to ask the question while knowing the answer <laughs> is yes. You think that definitely comes from from Ron Rivera, yeah. right? And like, oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, like I said, obviously asking the question <laughs> knowing the answer. Um, but and I think that's like a defensive head coach mm-hmm. thing. I think the reason that they all all these guys, for the most part, that are defensive defensive coordinators to turn to head coaches and maybe we'll see this change as the NFL in itself evolves and becomes so much more of a pass first pass friendly league but I feel like a lot of these old school defensive guys like Ron uh are want to base their offense on the running game because that's like the most demoralizing thing that you can take as a defense. It's one thing for an offense to just out scheme you from a passing game perspective but I feel like when you know, total anecdote here, but like I feel like when you're getting slammed by the running game over and over again and you just can't stop them, it's so demoralizing to you as a defensive coordinator that I wonder then if it's all the inverse, then when you are the head coach and your fingers are everywhere, if you're just like, yeah, we're going to run the ball because that's what's going to really uh, bum the other team out or something. It's it's very strange, but yeah, it there's a lot a of and. Yeah, I think you're spot on. It and one thing that I believe that demoralizes them even more is when you <laughs> score a lot of points. You know, yeah, it seems like Ron would figure that out. <laughs> it's it's mind blowing, Matt, because we were talking about this last episode. But it seems like the NFL has all but said we want you, we want quarterbacks throwing the ball to their wide receivers and scoring points with the way they've been changing the game like the defenseless hit the defenseless receiver flags the defensive holding flags the roughing the passer flags now because a defensive lineman can't alter his you know motion midair it's just the nfl is all but telling offenses throw the freaking football like and a passing play is the has the highest chance of being successful because of those things but ron rivera refuses to do it because he wants to run the football and there's some merit to like establishing the run, but with the, they built this team to throw the ball more and they just won't do it. I was just about to ask when you said there's merit establishing the run. I don't know if anybody's ever explained why it's important to establish the run. It's just kind of a thing people say. Well, as, as Matt mentioned earlier, the Cam Newton's very successful under play action. So theoretically establishing, the you run have to, you can still, you have to control time of possession. <laughs> you have to, <laughs> I really think, and somebody has said this on, on Cat Scratch Reader, and I can't remember who it was, but I, I really think deep down Ron wants to control the clock and control time of possession because it makes his defense look better. <laughs> like if we, if we have the ball for 45 minutes and we win 14 to three, well, the defense only gave up three points. 
And, you know, in his mind, in his little happy place, the defense dominated the other team. And I think deep down, that's what he's he's trying to do. I wanted to say I got two yeah. things. One to Brian's uh, play action thing. I think people have, there's been a lot of like exploring this statistically and yep. there's no correlation between how successful you are running it and how successful you are at play action. Like play I didn't like even defenders. Say well, I'm saying like I, defenders I, don't think like, Oh, they've only they don't like, you know, they're not running the ball. Well, I don't need to bite on this fake. Like if they, their keys tend to be, if they see a handoff, they, they step, they take a step forward. My point wasn't even to, you know, like say you need to run the ball down their throat and get yards. I'm just saying making that, making that something that's like still known keeping it in the back of their minds is what i was kind of getting at like if you don't run the ball yeah, and even game, if it's and you run a draw true. yeah go ahead matt even if it's not true even if it's not true like as i think you're right that they're ben baldwin and a lot of other people have done good work off play action analytics and shown that there is no correlation between who is a good play action quarterback and and uh, their running game. I mean, the two, and then just anecdotally, because everybody just really likes anecdotes. Uh, <laughs> anecdotally, two great examples last season were two of the best play action pass, passing quarterback were Russell Wilson and Marcus Mariota, and neither one of those teams could run the ball a lick. Uh, but I do think in coaches' minds, so even if it's not true to Brian's point, in coaches' minds, I think they still believe, numbers be damned, mm-hmm. that you do have to establish the run to then be an effective play action team. I mean, because like you listen to any again, I call, mentioned like goofball commentators earlier. If you listen to any of these jokers on Sunday that call games that act like they haven't watched an NFL game since like the frickin 80s, they will say that over and over and over and over again that you have to establish a run to be able to do play action. And like statistically, that just isn't it's, it's not it's not true. So I think that even if it's not true in coaches minds and probably a guy like Rivera that they believe that that that's why you got to stop. I mean, Charles Davis even. So where's the disconnect? Like why, why can't Ron Rivera look at a sheet of numbers and see the truth? Like why, why are coaches? And it's not just Ron Rivera. I mean, it's literally every coach except Doug Peterson, Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, and Andy Reid, you know, maybe one other and Andy Reid, like any coach not named those guys, they just can't see it, and I don't know if they can't see it or if they just refuse to to see it. Yeah, I think so much of it is just like football culture, um, very heavy into narratives and emotions, and, and that is honestly, to be honest with you, I think that's why people love the game so much, is because it's so narrative and uh, emotion driven. Like that's why everybody loves football, not just people that like the game of football. That's why they follow the NFL. Um, Trust me, working for the NFL, they love that, <laughs> obviously, because then they get a chance to talk about football all year. Um, I don't know. Like you would think that any team like with the how competitive the NFL is with how much that they have, you know, the small margin of victory to win games and lose games that you'd want to get every edge possible. But yeah, again, we you, as you mentioned, we just see over and over again, teams are willing to shun uh, statistical evidence in in favor of these long held cliches and narratives, and I don't know. I really don't know like what is going to change that, uh, but it it does appear to be a fact. I think it's league. just younger we'll coaches. Change. Yeah, it'll just change with younger coaches that come in with that are more willing to change their ways. Like it just, um, yeah. 
I think we're going to see more Sean McVay's because he's been successful mm. with the Rams. And I think some of these teams that are, you know, this year that are going to be firing and hiring guys are going to start looking at that, you know, young, hot offensive coordinator like, type mold. Uh, and I, I think we hopefully will see a dying of you've got to establish the run. Uh, you know, <laughs> it might take 10 years, but. Yeah, the crazy thing about like Sean McVay, too is that everything that he does is like none of it is you know revolutionary like read option you know spread stuff or well anything like that i mean obviously everybody's spread now but like it's not any sort of crazy triple wishbone whatever thing that you can say all he does is do the things that are common sense that we're all agreeing here make the most sense to do it's just being efficient running 11 personnel on every snap so that your running back never faces an eight-man box under 10 percent. i think he Gurley's run against an eight-man box this year that's not because people don't <laughs> want to stop todd Gurley. that's because you dictate personnel by or you dictate the, the defensive alignment by the personnel you come out with you run a lot of play action nobody runs more play action than jared goff like that's again that's not revolutionary uh playing the same three receivers over and over again and your best three cooks cooper cup Robert Woods, those guys are out there on like 90% of the snaps. They're not, you know, shuffling in Jarius Wright just because they feel like <laughs> like they have to. Uh, like what What? that's a crazy thing about Sean McVay is that – and using your running back in the friggin' passing game. Like Jared, Jeff Fisher never ever – under those teams, they never made Gurley a feature of the pass game. Sean McVay's first year in there, Gurley gets like 80-plus targets, obviously has a breakout year. Like Again, none of this stuff is revolutionary. It just takes the coaches seeing in statistical evidence and objective, uh, verifiable proof like, oh, this is good. This is smart. This is efficient. This is what we're going to do. But I-, I agree with you guys. I hope that we see more of it And I think forward. Walker made a point, and Walker is one of our – one of the other guys that we work with for Cat Scratch Reader about Ron Rivera. Cause when we had Rob Chudzinski as offensive coordinator, um, the offense was a little more aggressive downfield oriented, more pass oriented. And our defense was terrible. Just like coincidentally, just cause like Brad said earlier in our chat, Sione Fua and Terrell McLean were the defensive tackles. Like it's a bad defense. And then Mike Shula taking over the offensive coordinator spot and his like aggressively conservative approach coincided with us getting a good defense and Ron Rivera may have equated like, you know, conflated the two for the last six years. And then I think on top of that, there's just like you said, the football culture. I think there's just this like resistance to numbers because it's like, it's kind of a jocks versus nerds thing. It's like nerds don't know how football works. Like there's, there is this like mystery, unquantifiable, you know, stuff that happens on the field. Like uh, there's like momentum and, morale and uh just you know imposing your will and all these things that are not quantifiable that are supposed to render the like yeah. any statistical of like research obsolete or mood but i there's there's nothing that proves that to be true but i think that's what a lot of coaches believe agreed <laughs> and a good example of that is doug peterson who the panthers are facing on sunday so we get we're going to get the awesome to, um, crashing of the two worlds and the guy who went punch for punch with Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl. Hyper-aggressive offense against Ron Rivera and his stubbornness in you having an offense with so many receiving threats and running one of them up the middle all the time. That's going to be fun, guys. That's going to be a real enjoyable game to watch. 
I'm I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Um super excited. Looking at the Eagles offense, yeah. <laughs> looking at the Eagles offense this year, so they they have a somewhat similar offense in a way. Um you know, Carson Wentz is kind of like Cam Newton in the fact that he can do pretty much everything. Um they got a ton of good of pretty good receiving weapons that Alshon Jeffries, the matchup guy that you would want one-on-one with a lot of people, with a lot of different players, uh, one-on-one, uh, Nelson Aguilar is the guy they use in the slot. Um, Zach Ertz probably is apparently, uh, he w- appears to be on pace for one of the best seasons overall ever by a tight end. Um, good offense. They've been running the ball. Well, they use a ton of different running backs. Um, looking at this game, what are we, what are we watching, I guess, as far as the, the Eagles offense against the Panthers defense goes? Uh, Matt, why don't I start with you as our as our guest, our special guest here? Yeah, I, I am always just curious with this Panthers defense. Like, are they going to get any pass rush on Carson Wentz? Because I think Wentz has looked better each and every week. This is obviously, an, an, I would say, is an inconsistent at best pass rushing unit. Um, their corners, I think, are playing pretty well. I think James Bradbury's having a pretty good season. Um, he's kind of, I don't know, he's an inconsistent player, but he looks really good when he does look good. I think Dante Jackson, the rookies, had some really great moments as well, too. Obviously, their safety play is, you know, they, they signed Eric Reed, um, who may or may not have been responsible for, uh, or at least was in the vicinity of when almost nobody else was in the vicinity of Vernon Davis on that oh, first God. touchdown. Um, yeah, that was the worst. Um, but again, I think I still think the secondary overall has pretty good pieces. I think Reed is a good upgrade there at safety um, as he gets more comfortable. But yeah, to me, the pass rush is probably the thing that I'm going to be watching uh, the most here in this game because I think you got to get Wentz off his spot uh, and he hasn't really been as even when he's been under pressure over the last few games even when the 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 Giants were able to get close to him he still made some plays uh, but he was definitely under duress this is a pass protection unit that's definitely just not as good as it was uh, last season I have a question for yep, you Matt they, they... Oh, sorry it's, a, it's just a... Well, I hope you're, I haven't you're, the wide, oh, no, you're, good. you're the wide receiver guy, so um, why, why is Alshon <laughs> Jeffrey good? Because he's big and he's slow and he gets no separation, and then he catches eight passes for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Is he just that good? Like I know you're John. I can He's a really good contested catch player, and I think even just when passes aren't contested, he's a guy who doesn't mind operating in confined spaces. Yeah. He's never going to be somebody that gets a ton of separation. Um, he was a poor performer in reception perception, like route success rates last year, but he also is just exclusively a- an X receiver. He's not somebody that's going to move around a lot. And I think he does that role pretty well. Um, he's been kind of, he's been kind of an up and down player the last few years. And like, again, when you're an X receiver and you don't get a ton of separation, you are going to, you're going to be a volatile week to week producer. I mean, his first, 100-yard game with the Eagles came in his first game back this year. Uh, so he's definitely not as productive as he was during his best days as a Chicago Bear. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty pretty simple. He's just a real great contested catch player and also a guy who doesn't mind being not the most open player on the field. He really shouldn't even just run – like, not even run routes at this point. Like, they're not doing him any good. Just basic, like, 
go forward, go sideways, and then if <laughs> we need to, we'll throw it to you. Because you're not going to get it open regardless of what you do. Brad, what was your reason? Oh, it's it's simple. It's because the Carolina Panthers <laughs> drafted Amini Silatolu instead. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brad. Your bitterness is I, I, seasoned as always. I feel like Alshon Jeffrey is who Kelvin Benjamin was supposed to be. Oh, oh. You know, that's a, that's actually a very good point. I really think that Kelvin Benjamin was supposed to be Alshon Jeffrey 2.0. Well, let me, let me ask you guys this. Who do you think is better right now at this point in their career, Al, Alshon Jeffrey or Devin Funches? Uh, uh, I thought he was going to ask Kelvin Benjamin. I was going to be like, what? Um, <laughs> no, geez. No, 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 Where no. does Kelvin Benjamin rank among NFL receivers at this point? Like, like in the 90 to 100 range? Like number three wide receiver kind of guy, or is he? Am I underrating him? I don't even know how you could. Uh, no, nah, well, you're not underrating him. I don't really know how you could really evaluate anybody in that oh, yeah, disgusting I, I, Buffalo sure. offense right now. Um, I mean, he's getting his he's getting his boy Derek Anderson <laughs> back this week, though. So the, the, the buck killer. There, hey, there. he finally gets the quarterback <laughs> he asked for. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that Buffalo offense is just a train wreck, but. Kelvin does nobody any favors. I mean, I thought in his rookie season, he obviously the numbers were there because he had just so much volume, but he showed that he could be like a moderately plus, you know, average type of player out there, but he's gotten worse and worse every year. Uh, He doesn't win contested catches consistently. I mean, I, I don't know. He's not a player that I would, if I was building an NFL receiving core, He's not a player that I would like ever want to have. <laughs> yeah, his rookie year was like, uh, yeah, it's not efficient, but like he's shown like some abilities. Like you know, like if this is his ceiling, it's not as good as you'd want from a first round pick. But for a rookie, you know, like with room to grow, it's that's it's a good sign. And like you said, it's just getting worse and worse, and then more and more like attitudes problem creeping out. And stuff. Well, since yeah. Yeah, and since you're the wide receiver guru and you, you know, basically just said Kelvin Benjamin is the worst <laughs> receiver ever, um, if you could build a, a hypothetical wide receiver core, who would the first pick be? Like, who would be your number one guy? Uh, I mean, it would have to be Antonio Brown because he's just like the epitome of route running. He's the epitome of getting separation. You could argue that at his best, Odell Beckham might be the the freakiest route runner in the NFL because he has pristine technique and he also has just outrageous athletic ability. But Brown is such a pro at everything he does as a route runner that, and he also can win contested catches. And I mean, Beckham can too, obviously, but those two guys I think are the best, you know, high end route runners at the NFL level. So I think starting a receiving court, I mean, it's gotta be a guy like Antonio Brown, that despite his size, he goes out there and plays X receiver every route. Uh, he gets open almost all the time. Um, over the last four years of reception perception, he's been number one or two in success rate versus man coverage every single season that I've I've charted him. I mean, he's I mean he's incredible. So yeah, he's he's the guy I would take. To answer your question from earlier, and then maybe somewhere after that, Kelvin <laughs> Benjamin, and somewhere after that, somewhere, somewhere after that. <laughs> to answer your question, Matt, I think that. Overall, as a player, if we're just looking at him in a vacuum, I would say Alshon Jeffrey's better. But I think Devin Funches is tasked with a lot more in the Panthers' offense than Jeffrey is in the Eagles' offense. Yeah, like because might... Funches is the security blanket. 
of sorts. Jeffrey might be better at what he does, but I think Devin, I would rather have Devin Funches just like Brian said, for the versatility aspect of it. Y'all just haters, <laughs> man. What, what do you think, Matt? Funches is also getting yes. better. I, I he's also I, I would say that it's much closer than probably the average. Like if you asked, if you pulled ten people at a bar, if they even know who like either of the two, either of these two players are. But just let's say like we're taking the mean level NFL fan and asking them who's better, Alshon Jeffrey or Devin Funches, they probably because. Aljon Jeffrey like played in a Super Bowl and everybody knows who he is. They'd probably laugh you out of the room, but I think it's at least, if not in Funchess's favor, I think it's pretty close. Funchess to me has gotten better. Uh, it made major strides the last two years. I mean, he was a guy in reception perception early in, in his career that just looked like a, a you know total train wreck. Like couldn't get open unless he was running routes out of the slot. Um, but I think he's taken big, big steps the last two years. He's not a perfect receiver. I don't know that you would necessarily classify him as a quote-unquote true number one receiver, but I think a lot of NFL offenses right now are getting by without a true number one receiver. I don't think Alshon Jeffrey's a quote-unquote true number one receiver because of some of the flaws in his game, but I think it's worth a conversation. I think that Funches is is right there with Alshon, if not maybe just ever so slightly ahead because he's on an upward trajectory. They're in the same tier. Yeah, Funches... They are definitely in the same tier. Funches is like, I've just seen a a steady evolution in a lot of his, uh, just the technical aspects of his game, like, <clears throat> like getting off the press, the contested catches, the routes he runs, like he runs some beautiful routes sometimes, like not all the time. He's not perfect, but every now and again, you'll see yeah. him run a route where you're like, man, he beat the, he beat the skates off that guy. Like if he was a little faster, man, he'd be, be pretty damn good. But yeah, I think I, I like what he brings to the table. Just a bunch of haters, man. Shut up, Brad. The Panthers never. The Panthers <laughs> didn't draft Alshon Jeffrey. They never will. He'll never play for this team. Just let it go, man. Just let it go. Just let it go. No, he'll play for the Panthers. It'll just be when he's like thirty-five years old and, and worthless. Yeah. Jericho Cotri yeah. level. He, yeah, Jericho Cotri, Keyshawn Johnson. He'll he'll be that <laughs> in a couple of years. Um, as far as the rest of the Eagles' offense goes. So Jay Ajayi isn't playing, so we're expecting Corey Clement to go off for like 150 yards, right? No, Wendell Smallwood. Yeah. Wendell Smallwood. Wendell Smallwood. Start Wendell Smallwood. I don't even think he's he's not. Yes. I mean, that was the epitome of fantasy, like fantasy football last week. That Wendell Smallwood gets more carries, he plays more snaps, but Corey Clement has the better fantasy day. <laughs> like that is that's typical fantasy stuff. But I think both these backs are are in play. Great. They'll both go for 120 yards great. and two touchdowns. Yep. <laughs> yep. Both go for 100 yards. Um, so moving on, we were talking about Devin Funches a little bit. So moving on to the Eagles defense. Um, really loaded front seven. Derek Barnett, Haloti Nada, Fletcher Cox. I think Haloti Nada didn't practice or something today. I think I saw. Um <clears throat> Nigel Bradham, Jordan Hicks. That front seven is going to kill Cam this weekend, guys. I hate to say it, but <laughs> I don't think I mean, he's going to survive. The offensive line's been fine. <clears throat> yeah. Surprisingly. Yeah, we've been fine, but I, it's been surprisingly fine. But I think Cinderella's going to turn back into a pumpkin. The mm. best front seven they played, <laughs> in my opinion, was probably the Bengals. 
And that was without Dallas is good. Fonte. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, they do have, they have yeah. But this team just has threats on all levels. Not even taught not even let's not forget about Michael Bennett too. He's part of it as well. So stupid shoulder pads. So do we expect No, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> like wearing like a bulky tank top under his jersey. It's the dumbest thing. <laughs> Triple layer. It's it's kicker shoulder pads, isn't it's it? It's worse than kicker shoulder pads. Kicker shoulder pads at least like cover their shoulders. Like he he basically just like covers his traps with his shoulder pads, and that's about it. Well, well, kicker shoulder pads cover their shoulders because kickers are like half the size of Michael Bennett. Michael True. Bennett uses like pee wee football size pads and just. Stretches him over his shoulders. <laughs> Spandex shoulder pads. Don't the Eagles cornerbacks? Don't the Eagles? They're pretty weak in the secondary, though, aren't they? Like their their corners aren't. They, yeah, yeah. If if you can if you can stop their front seven and get the ball out, you can actually beat them because their their weakness That's is their secondary. Yeah, to bring this like all. Go ahead. Yeah, to bring this all back around to like talking about the receivers earlier. I mean, this is the game to get some of these quick separators like Curtis Samuel or DJ Moore involved. And obviously Funchess will be a part of this too. The Eagles are number two in terms of yards allowed to wide receivers with 100 or 1,197 and second most catches or no first most catches to wide receivers with 96. So this is a team that has seen their cornerback core particularly get ripped up this year. So I, I think that this is, this is a great matchup for Funchess obviously, but also yeah, some of these younger guys. I mean, they they saw their slot corner Patrick Robinson leave this offseason, so maybe more can get some run there. Um, you know, Ronald Darby is an okay cornerback, but he can also be burned because he's kind of a gambler. And Jalen Mills, their left cornerback. I mean, Stefan Diggs just like took him to the woodshed a couple weeks ago, and I would be excited to see. Um, Funches or even especially Curtis Samuel. And I mean, it is a hashtag revenge game for Torrey Smith. So, like, let's not forget about he that. He did have five catches on one drive last <laughs> week. True. Yeah. So, your combined your combined total snaps, combined total snaps for DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel is going to be two. Oh, terrific! Because Ron is going to let Torrey Smith run every play for the revenge I, game. I will say hashtag real talk so, real quick though. It was kind of nice to see Ron Rivera not bench Tory or uh, DJ Moore after he fumbled the ball twice and instead let him continue yeah. to play like I actually think as far as yes. his growth is concerned like that was the welcome to the NFL moment for him like it doesn't get much worse than fumbling the ball twice especially one of them in scoring distance so to me it's like you can really only go nowhere but up at this point like if they're going to keep him involved good things are going to happen I mean he he's just too good with the ball in his hands for good stuff not to happen if they get it if they get it to him in that secondary. I don't know if you agree with me, Matt. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree. I would agree that, uh, sorry, I cut out, you cut out there a little bit on, on my, my end, but yeah, I would agree that it was good. to. See, yeah. It was good to see. It was good to see him not like just get totally yanked out of there. And I think Cam Newton said that today, actually about DJ Moore that those are the type of moments that, you know, remind you, oh, this is real and, you know, welcome to the NFL, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, hopefully they just continue to stick with them because this is, again, this is a great spot to see him potentially have his, his breakout game because they're going to, they need that explosive element and, and this is a good matchup against a defense that's allowing a lot of production to receivers. Agreed. 
before or after after we do score, do you guys want to do score predictions? And then I have one more question for uh for Matt before we wrap it up. Yeah, we could do our little scoring predictions and then do our yeah, closing sure. comments. Um, so as our guest Matt, what do you think is going to be the score of Sunday's tilt against the Eagles? And feel free to be as negative as possible. Trust me, we're we're all here for it. Yeah, I mean, Vegas right now has this at a 45-point total, 25 Eagles and 20 Carolina. I think that's pretty fair. Um, I don't think they're going to get blown out. I think the Pan- I still think the Panthers are overall a pretty good team. I think the Eagles are just coming into this, coming into stride, and obviously, you know, they're a five-point home favorite right now. I think that seems pretty fair. Like, as a score prediction, I think, you know, something around the area of 21, uh, 20. 25 24 seems about right uh to me i would i would definitely if, if i'm betting on these games um i would definitely take the eagles and the five points at home um or given the five points at home so yeah i, I don't know I, the, it, there's just so many places where they don't match up well and it, and it starts on both the lines for pass protection for carolina's sake and the pass rush for carolina's sakes i don't think either of those matchups are going to be as good as they should be to stop the eagles front seven or then exploit their leaky pass protecting offensive line on the other side sounds fair brad what's your scoring prediction philadelphia 56 carolina 10 (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get Uh, john what's your what's your scoring prediction you do your you go first brian you go first all right i'm predicting a 21 to 14 loss for carolina I just think I think that they will actually come out and play this team a lot closer than people expect. And I think they'll have a game plan for the defense and they might even be a little more aggressive after the way things went against Washington. Um, I just think the offense is going to struggle to continue to put up points because I think they'll move the ball just fine. But this Eagles defense doesn't allow a lot of points, even if, even though they allow yards. And we all know how Ron Rivera gets when he gets in the red zone. So it'll be a lot of a. Uh, Christian McCaffrey and Cam Newton trying to run the ball in the end zone. I think they'll just get whooped on that. So, John, go ahead. All right. My justification for this is just because of what all of you have just said, and it's going to be Panthers 28, Eagles 20, just because the Panthers always win when we expect them to get demolished. <laughs> well, then you should have no predicted actual to lose. empirical evidence to support this. Oh, you're the worst, John. No. Because I want to be. I want to be right. I always pick the Panthers to win. I can't do it. I don't have it in my heart. I will say, (laughs) I will say that John, John actually makes a very good point. You know, they always play their best when everybody thinks they're going to lose. And I really do believe, um, I was kind of halfway joking with my prediction, but I really do believe that one of the two teams is going to blow the other one out of the water. I, I don't think this is going to be a close game because everybody thinks it's going to be close and the Panthers are either going to completely shit the bed and lose by 30 or more, or they're going to make the Eagles look like they're, they're not even, they don't even belong on the same field. That is very Panthers of them. Mm. <clears throat> that would be quite Panthers. It is very Panthers of them. It's not prime time, so that's that, that's going in their favor for sure. Um, John, what, what did you have to right. say? I have one more question for Matt because because we're getting pretty long on this episode and we need to wrap it up. Um, Matt, just a divisional, a Panthers divisional rival question. Um, why can't Julio Jones score touchdowns? 
because uh, <laughs> God hates us all, man. I don't know. I think in in some ways that last year there was a huge focus on them getting the ball to Julio Jones in the red zone. He had an, an outrageous amount of red zone touch or red zone uh, targets last year. Obviously, ended with just three touchdowns. I it's one of the weirder, like unexplainable things. I mean, a guy like Andre Johnson was somebody that. Uh, didn't score a lot of touchdowns, obviously always produced in terms of yards and catches and, you know, despite some real poor quarterback play. I do think we've seen a focus this year of just getting away from forcing it to Julio in the red zone. And they've obviously then had a lot of offensive success, but it is, I mean, I don't know that I have like a super sharp (laughs) analytic take for you here. It's just, it's shit, man. It's just one of those things. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I do think so funny. yeah, I think this year they've just they have just tried to not force it to him and because they're still having success with other players, you know, Calvin Ridley, Muhammad Sanu and Ito Smith, like they're not really all that bothered by the fact that as much as people that own him in fantasy are bothered by it, <laughs> uh, no matter how like literally on pace for like a 2000 yard season at one point this year and people are still complaining about Julio Jones in fantasy like that is a hell of a thing. It's just so funny to have a guy who's second in the NFL in receiving yardage. It just so it's not like he's having a down year, but I mean he has 44 catches and 707 yards through six games, and just just you would think he would have like stumbled across the end zone in one of those catches at this point, just like yeah yeah breaking a tackle on a from the like on a slant quick slant from the 20 or something. It's just like I'm expecting him at some point to have like an uncontested run run to the end zone as trip and fall. It's a conspiracy, man. Yeah, well, when, when, when do the Falcons the play the Panthers again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually he usually he just usually he just stomps the Bucks and then Carolina in at least one of their games, but he usually just completely just bitch slaps the Bucks both times. Uh, so I, <laughs> maybe next time he'll get in the box uh, against the <laughs> against the Bucks, but he did have a big yardage. I'm game calling a. Yeah, well, you can you can guarantee you can guarantee that if anybody's struggling, if it's a receiver that's not getting in the end zone, if it's a corner who isn't getting interceptions, if it's a running back who hasn't rushed for a hundred yards, it doesn't matter what what the hell it is. the The Panthers are the elixir that cures all <laughs> ails, and you can just about mark it down that if Julio has not scored a touchdown. Until we play, he will he will score five against us. Like it, it's pretty much a guaranteed bet. It's an Atlanta Falcons conspiracy happen. because they don't want to pay him after this season, so they're going to take that number. <laughs> they're not going to pay him anyway because they That's have true. Calvin Ridley now. Well, if they don't, if they don't, if they don't play again until week sixteen. So if Julio Jones has not scored any touchdowns since week 16, I want to stay the hell off uh, fantasy Twitter <laughs> until then because it's going to be a legit <laughs> retiring. Uh, well, anything else, you guys? Any lasting thoughts you want to impart upon our listeners? No? Nope. I refuse. Uh, thanks, John. First time, first time you've ever done that. Yep, okay. I'm not playing your game. Well, but... Matt, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, tell us what you got going on in the, uh, football world. Tell our listeners and whoever else. Yeah, no, I, thank you guys so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun to, uh, you know, spin some negativity, some positivity and some real talk about the Panthers and, uh, and the NFL as a whole. And I do think they're an interesting team to watch as the, as the NFL evolves offensively to see how much they really 
take that evolution and, and whether they run with it or not. So thanks for having me for this conversation. I really appreciate it. And anybody out there, if uh, you're not familiar with my work, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Um, I'm also doing a halftime show this year uh, that streams called Halftime with Harmon. Uh, so pretty easy to remember. It's on Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And if you just go to like Yahoo Sports, you should be able to find uh, it on any of those platforms. Awesome. Be down to check it out. Sounds good. And for all of you listening who may not have heard this already, you can find the Keep Sounding podcast now officially on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. So we've been ramping it up a little bit here recently. So from all of us here at Keep Sounding, I have some lasting thoughts for you, some uh, Brian Beversley's life lessons. So if you ever find yourself, you get that itch to play some kind of intramural sport, some kind of recreational sport, maybe maybe okay. basketball, 60 bucks a league. Uh, that sounds that's a lot of money. So for my for my recommendation is go out and buy the new NBA 2K because you only spend $60 on it once. You don't have to deal with douchebag teammates. You can quit whenever you want. You can start whenever you want. And you don't have to leave the house and you don't have to hit up all your friends hoping that one of them doesn't hit you back and making them pay $60 to play with you. So maybe just try that. Maybe just buy NBA. Because you get to you get to play basketball anyway. So, from all of us here at Keep Sounding, I'm joined by John and Brad. And again, thank you, Matt, for joining us. Really appreciate it. We hope to have you back on soon. Hopefully, with better circumstances for the Panthers. Keeps the football. Takes off to the end zone for the touchdown. He takes the handoff and he scores. Avoided the Dolphins behind the line of scrimmage and took it in for the first touchdown. Oh, the Newton keeps. Lowers his shoulder and takes it in for the touchdown. On second and goal, shovel pass McCaffrey. Touchdown. And off dive for Jonathan Stewart, and he's in for a touchdown. That's intercepted by Keeping. He has more of those than any linebacker.